Alden Fisher, who is the Commissioner of Revenue for Governor Bill Walker's administration. Uh, they wanted to come in. Of course, the governor announcing his new tax plan that he wants the legislator to take up in this newest special session. Sheldon Fisher comes in to give us some of the details of the new tax plan, and we welcome him to the program. Good morning, sir. Good morning. How are you doing today? Uh, not too bad. Not too bad. So uh, before we I don't want to be too confrontational up front. I want to give you a chance to uh, tell us exactly what uh, what this this plan does, what it doesn't do. And then I want to ask you some specifics about it as we uh, as we move ahead here. Well, thanks. I welcome uh, even the hard questions. So just to give uh, your listeners a, a, an overview, what the governor's proposed is a capped payroll tax. Um, some people refer to it as a modified head tax. The way it'll work is similar to other payroll taxes like Social Security or, or unemployment tax, and it, it starts at a rate of 1.5%, so wages will be withheld at that rate uh, until a cap is reached, and the cap that is proposed is uh, is uh, $2,200 or two times the, the, the dividend. Of course, that's essentially twice what the dividend was last year. Um, this is intended to raise about uh, 300 to $325 million is what we forecast. And um, just to kind of give a sense of how this would work, if, if, you're a, if an individual is a low-income worker, they would pay a few hundred dollars, um, uh, and, and they, of course, would, would get their dividend. And any other members of the household that are not workers would still get would still get the dividend, and so kind of at the lower income, uh, there would still be uh, uh, a net distribution to the state to that family. Um, the more wealthy Alaskans, uh, and, and that that kind of caps out at about one hundred fifty thousand dollars. At about one hundred fifty thousand dollars, an individual would pay the maximum of the twenty two hundred dollars. And we heard from a number of people that just said to us, "Why don't you just take?" Uh, my dividend. I don't. I don't want to pay a tax. I'd rather just have you take the dividend. And so, in in some respects, this is designed to, uh, in essence, the the individual would pay the, the 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 they'd receive a dividend. They'd in essence return the dividend and pay another about a thousand dollars in the tax. And um, out of state workers would also be included. So those workers who live out of state but work in Alaska, they would also be subject to the tax. And and uh, Depending on their income, they would pay the one and a half percent. Of course, they wouldn't receive any any dividend um, to offset that. Um, you know, you uh, asked, and I think it's completely appropriate. Why why do we need this tax? Why why would we do this? And um, in fiscal year eighteen, uh, when we take the state budget, and, and by the way, I'm happy to talk to people uh, about the budget and and kind of why we're at where we're at. But if you took the state budget, less revenue forecast. Uh, there's about a $2.7 billion deficit, and, and that is forecasted to continue into, into fiscal year 18. And um, even if we use uh, a portion of the permanent fund earnings, um, that's still not going to close the gap. Even with the permanent fund earnings plus this tax, there's still uh, hundreds of millions of dollars in structural deficit between our our expenditures and our um, and our revenue sources, and so right. there is for those who would like to see deeper cuts. There still is an opportunity, uh, and in fact, a need to, to. There's going to be a need to close that gap, and whether we do that with cuts or some other mechanism, um, 
it's there. And so this is, I think, an important component in uh, in a larger uh, fiscal strategy to reach a sense of stability. And, and I think that's important. Uh, uh, I, you know, I've heard from a number of business leaders over the past couple of weeks since I've been in this position that there's a, a, a strong need to have stability to the state so investment right. can come back. And uh, and so this this helps do that. Um, you know why this tax? Uh, it feels to us like it's something that can uh, pass from a uh, from a political perspective. We've heard from a lot of municipalities and and a number of legislatures that they would rather the state didn't do a sales tax because uh, the mu- municipalities have kind of used that. Um, we heard from people that they didn't want an income tax uh, in part or in large measure because it would tax capital. And so this, this, uh, this doesn't tax dividends. It doesn't tax a, a number of distributions on capital. And so we felt like this was a, um, an acceptable compromise in a number of dimensions. Okay, well, let's, t- let's take this apart a little bit here. And again, now, I'm not an economist, nor do I play one on TV, so bear with me if I, if I uh, make any minor mistakes here. But I'm just going to take this apart from my perspective and some of the analysis that I've read, some discussions that I've already had with some folks who've been delving down into this. Now, first and foremost, this 1.5% uh, is, is, a, is, a, is a, a tax on income, but it applies to all income earners. And so you have a one point. You have a two-income household. Each one is taxed at the 1.5 percent, and that $2,200 threshold is not a per-family. It is still a per-employee or per-payroll-e tax, right? So if a family has an average family of four with both mom and dad working, they would both be taxed at the 1.5 percent with a max, each max of $2,200. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. So it's a, so, I would say it's a tax on wages, but your description is is accurate. That is, that both individuals would would be subject to the one point five, and both would be subject to the to the uh, uh, the cap of twenty two hundred dollars. And of course, both would get their their dividend, and as well as other family members. Well, and 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 I guess this is part of my other problem because you see, we're already being taxed. Now I know that there's arguments out there that it's not a tax. But by taking half of the dividend, which is essentially, uh, it, you know, is, is money that we've received in lieu of, you know, mineral rights and some other things, um, we're already being taxed at the rate of, you know, 22 to 20 or, you know, excuse me, uh, 12 to $1,300 per person uh, on that uh, as well. And so this new tax applies. And I start looking at this and I understand in your initial discussion, you're saying, hey, the people on the lower end will still get their dividends. They'll only have to pay a few hundred dollars in taxes. And so essentially they'll have a net gain on that. But the problem is, is it's the lowest income families that are most affected because, of, again, of their portion of income. If you start taking a look at the, the, the payroll tax itself and the, and the PFD cut on top of it, those, those lower income, the, the lowest 20 percent, are affected to the tune of over 27 percent of their income, of their gross income, would be affected by this. Whereas somebody who's on the upper, upper percentile, who's in the upper 20 percent, only has just over a 3 percent cut in the thing. So, I mean, again, it's an effectiveness thing. I know, you know, you basically, you know, in the way you described it, saying, well, look, these people are less affected, uh, you know, down here at the lower end because they're still getting part of their dividend. But the bottom line is, is that even according to ITEP, 
the 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 burden, the direct burden on this doesn't fall on that upper percentile. In fact, the direct burden would fall heaviest on the middle and upper middle income families in their prime working years because this doesn't affect things like dividends and um, uh, and investments and retirement incomes and capital gains and all these other things. Uh, I mean, why, you know, why should some of these people, I guess, if, it, if we're looking for fairness and equitability, why should these people get away without paying the additional tax? So, um, you know, I think that you've raised, there's a number of dimensions, and so let me just kind of touch, and you can come back and sure, unpack if, I, if I don't respond. Go. Yeah, so, um, you know, the first the first point I think you're making is, um, is why do we need to give up both the dividend and be subject to a tax? And, um, you know, uh, we've got a 2.7 billion dollar structural deficit, meaning that the level of government that we have today versus uh, the revenue that, that's coming into the state today, there's a 2.7 billion dollar gap. Um, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm confident because it's out there and you read a lot uh, that, that many people think, well, then let's let's cut, let's just cut government. That's what we need to do to close that that gap. And and by the way, uh, you know, some of your listeners may know I, I'm a pretty conservative uh, individual and and want to see limited government as well. And so that rationale um, resonates with with me. But I, I thought I would share just a couple of details. Um, if you look at operating budgets and what I'm of the various departments in, in the administration, and let's take out for a moment life, health, safety. So if take out, so it's just you know it's like commerce and Department of Education and environmental conservation, efficient game and the Department of Natural Resources and all of those. Um, their budgets are actually down forty percent. Um, at the high end, you've got the Department of Commerce. Their budget is actually down 70 percent. Um, uh, the Department of Education, not not the formula that, that that gets paid out to the communities to support education, but the Department of Education itself is down 44 percent. Um, and transportation, you know, the people who build our roads and plow our roads, et cetera, their budget's down 50 percent. Um, and again, that, that doesn't include the money that we receive from the federal government for projects. These are the administrative people who are, who are managing uh, the department. So my point in saying that, I, I don't in any way, and I'm happy to talk about some of the departments I know about, want to suggest that there's not more that we can cut there, because we absolutely can. But, um, but, but there's been a lot of cuts, and, uh, and the, the, the cuts that are remaining that people are, continue to look at are, are more um, at the margin than kind of massive cuts that are available. Now, well, people might say, well, yeah. Well, I was just going to okay. say, I mean, it's, it's interesting that you leave out that you say life, health, safety. I mean, the, the problem is, is that, you know, a lot of those budget items are, are end up being smaller. The ones that we've left out, including life, health, safety, including the Department of Health and Social Services, which has, I mean, more than doubled in just a, the last handful of years. I mean, this thing is, is it's grown prodigiously. And so if we want no, no, to take no, a look at some of the things No, no, let's talk about the, the, the health, Department of Health and Social Services. So their operating budget, if you will, their, the budget that they get to, to kind of the people that manage it is actually down 12%. So I agree with you uh, that that's less than the 40% I talked about. But their, their formula program, 
uh, you know, the, the, the Medicaid and the other programs that they administer is down 20%. Now, you may say that's, that's uh, by the way, forgive me, I should have said this at the beginning. I'm talking about general funds. And so, okay. uh, and that's an important um, uh, consideration because what has happened in, to, to the department and to uh, Commissioner Davison's credit, we, that we've been much more diligent and successful in le- leveraging federal programs and, and getting additional federal spending to, to cover uh, some of these costs. And so it's true that you're seeing greater benefits, but the state's portion of that actually is, is declining. So, but, but I agree with you. I mean, your, your basic point is I left out two, uh, two big categories, life, health, safety, and, and we've talked a little bit about health. Then you've also got, um, you know, uh, safety, you know, uh, the Department of Public Safety, these are our troopers, are down 7%. Um, the uh, Department of Law is, is down, uh, the criminal division is down, uh, I'm going by memory here, but I think 7 to 10% as well. And, and again, that's a choice that, that Alaskans ought to kind of engage in because the impression that I think I have is that um, people don't want to see our troopers cut. I mean, there's a lot right. of complaints about crime and well, that sort of thing. And, 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 I, think, and I think part of the... Well, and I think part of the problem here is, and, and unfortunately, we're running out of time here. Are, are you able to stick with us into a second segment, sure. uh, Mr. Fisher? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, because yeah. I'd, I'd like to discuss this further because, I mean, these these things are intricate and and, and they get into it. I, I mean, I, but I'm out there talking to people. I'm out there talking to business owners on a daily basis, and I'm not talking about, you said business leaders earlier, which, again, to me is people who are working with these big Alaska corporations who, in a lot of ways, they want the stability, sure, uh, because they want investment in Alaska, but I'm talking to the mom and Pops who aren't necessarily dependent on a lot of, you know, a lot of times, you know, government contracts or doing a lot of these other things. And they're all saying the same thing. How can we face more taxes when we're already struggling under a recession? How can we face more taxes when we've already for the second year in a row had our, had our dividends cut? I mean, how can we how can you can we we're faced with cuts, all these business owners cutting hours, cutting people. And yet the, the, the state continues to to refuse to cut deeper. I mean, I know you're saying there's some statistical numbers in the in the general funding and, and some of these other things, but overall the size and scope of government continues to remain pretty constant. How I mean, how is this, you know, how is this going to be a fair focus on on the tax burden on these smaller individuals and these smaller businesses? Do you want to answer? Do you want me to respond to that now or come back? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead and respond to that now, and then so, we'll come. We'll we'll take a so, break. So, uh, listen, I I, uh, I feel the frustration, and um and and you're right when you say that I'm talking to to kind of the larger business owners, um, uh, and so that's a fair that's a fair criticism. Uh, but I think what our economy needs is for those larger businesses to start investing, and that will result in additional uh, uh, opportunity for for many. Of the smaller business owners that, that you're talking about, um, but I but I kind of disagree that the size of government is growing. I mean, the, the places where the government has stayed that there have not been a lot of cuts are around a big one. We spend uh, you know nearly you know one point one and a quarter billion dollars on on our K twelve education, and um, my sense, and I'd be welcome your listeners' thoughts, is that. Uh, People want to see more accountability and better results out of education, but it, but every time we talk about you know should there be even modest uh, reductions in education, the the kind of the impression that we get 
that I've received is that people don't want to see a cut to education. So that's a place where, I mean, that's, that's 25% of our budget. We've talked a little bit about health care and life health safety. And so it's, I think we have to decide um, what is the size and nature of, and scope of government that, that we want. Um, uh, and, and at a real programmatic level, what are the programs that we feel like we can do without? And, and I think that's a valuable conversation for the state to have. All right. Uh, Sheldon Fisher's our guest. Sheldon, we're going to put you on hold. Will you take a couple calls on the other side? Sure. Of course. Thank All you. right. All right. We're going, to, we're going to put you back on hold. Commissioner of Revenue Sheldon Fisher joins us. We're talking about the governor's new proposed tax. Phone lines are open, 274-5297, 274-5297. The Michael Duke Show continues. A wage tax, an income, a head tax, however you want to call it, 1.5% with a cap. Uh, but it's got some issues that I think some people are going to bring up. We're going to take some phone calls here in just a quick second. Uh, I'm going to ask that you're very concise on your questions so that we can get as many calls in um, as necessary. I definitely want to uh, to talk with them about that. Uh, Commissioner, right before um, we jump into that, I got one question because there was two, two different things that you said here. One was the, uh, I guess I'll just take the one. Uh, you said early on, and I didn't catch it, actually somebody sent me a message saying, you said start at one and a half percent. That was like your opening statement. You're starting at one and a half percent. Is this something that we think is going to be? I mean, we're immediately going to have to increase. Is this something we're going to have to to move forward on? No, forgive me if I said that. I think what I meant was it starts on the first dollar at one and a half percent, and then there is because there's a cap at some point it stops. But no, I. I, I great catch and, and i didn't catch that myself uh okay it's a it's a flat one and a half percent for the for the for all you know across all wages until the cap has has been uh achieved okay we're going to take some quick calls here because i do want to hear what the listeners have to say about this roy's on the line roy what's your question for the commissioner mr fisher um how do you explain that the fact that uh, with the economy going into recession here in the state here because you folks have uh taken half of our permanent fund checks for the last two years, and you're sucking money out of our economy here and also out of my uh, my income, and then you, you guys come up with this crazy-ass idea here to um, take 1.5% and lower-income people here. Are, we're going to be really hurting here. I mean, uh, who you go, who's going to uh, be here when you get, guys get done sucking all the money out of our system here, of the economics, you know, of the state here? By taking away from the paychecks, some people are barely making it now. Thank you, Roy. Uh, Commissioner? Yeah, Roy, thanks. Um, I, I, uh, I think I understand the frustration that, that you're expressing, and I, I actually believe that this proposal is what's necessary to help get our economy back on track. Uh, we need fiscal certainty. If you, you know, again, I know that the big companies aren't the only people who produce. In fact, in, in America and in Alaska, the smaller companies are, are the ones that, that employ most, most people. But the big companies drive a lot of the, a lot of the top investment, and, and they're kind of on the sidelines. They're holding back until they understand what the state is finally going to do. And, uh, and so we're, I think having certainty to this fiscal equation is, is exactly the thing the state needs to, to, to bring investment back. And, um, you know, and, and so we've tried to structure something that is modest and bearable, uh, regardless of where the, where the individuals um, earnings fall. And it also, uh, as I mentioned earlier, does does uh, 
it taxes out-of-state workers, so that will be a, a benefit uh, to those who work here but haven't been haven't been contributing in the past. And so, I mean, uh, I, I, listen, no one takes any uh, joy in 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 raising taxes. It's just, I think, a strong feeling that we need to have a solution. Uh, Todd is on the line. He's got a question for the commissioner. Todd, uh, what's your question? Well, first of all, I, I've studied economics and taught economics for decades, and I've never heard an economist propose a tax uh, for a struggling economy as a way to bring it out of recession. But my question is this. The, the problem with your numbers, Commissioner, is that when you tell us that there is a deficit, you don't include the record earnings of the permanent fund. The other problem that I can see here is that you haven't mentioned that this amount of money that is going to be pulled out, pulled out of an already struggling economy is the same amount of money that was discovered in the form of unfunded positions by the House minority. So could you just address why we need a tax when we already have $300 million of underfunded positions in the budget? Thank you. Thank you, Todd. So let me... Yeah, Todd. Thanks. Let me touch on both of the things. Um, this this does include, if you will, the the record earnings of the permanent fund. Um, the uh, uh, the the formula the the way that that the the way that SB twenty six, which is the kind of the framework that people are using, to talk about how the state might leverage permanent fund earnings in a structured way, uh, contemplates averaging over a five year period the the earnings of the fund and then taking a percentage of those and using for uh, state government support and a percentage of those earnings to use for um, uh, to distribute to people in the form of, of a permanent fund dividend and uh, and so this includes it now there there are different views of what those percentages should be but but my point is even as you take uh, um, the 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 uh, that that earnings, there's still a substantial amount of money that is left, a gap between our revenue, including distributions from the permanent fund used to support state government and our expenses. And so this closes a portion of the gap, but it doesn't close. It actually doesn't close all of it. To respond to your question about unfunded positions, I may not be fully. Um, understanding what is being said, but I, I, I got to tell you that every department actually functions with a um, uh, with an uh, actually a vacancy factor. In other words, if if I've got a hundred people um, in a department, and it depends a little bit on the department, they've got different rules in terms of the way the budget budget uh, uh, is fun is funded, but. Um, I'm actually given money uh, for 97 positions on average, something in that nature. And the point is that there's an expectation that there will be a certain amount of, of turnover and that when someone leaves, uh, there's not there's not an immediate replacement. There's a posting and a period of time to bring someone in. And so over an annual period, the expectation is that there's actually a vacancy factor that um, – uh, will will make that up. So, I mean, just to go back to the numbers I shared earlier, uh, those agency budgets uh, taking out life, health, safety. Those agency budgets are down on average forty percent, and that's that's real dollars. I mean, that, there's not no agency has three hundred million. In fact, the the overall expense of those 
agencies, and I go through the list, but the non-life health safety agencies is about $475 million. And so there's not, uh, just, there's just not $300 million there to cut if you, if you want the, the, those agencies to deliver, um, you know, fishing licenses and yeah. well, I, and I think what the, with the caller, I think what the caller was referencing is that we had some discussions with some of the legislators who said they finally got the listings of positions where there was positions inside of government um, uh, agencies, various agencies and various departments where they had a position that was not filled. It had it had a line item, didn't have a body attached to it, and those monies, again, to add it up to the tune well, of hundreds of millions of dollars if you combine them all together. And that was the question. If they're doing the job right now, why shouldn't we at least take that cut in cutting those things back? If you need to add an employee later, you can come back and, and revisit that. Um, and I think that was his point on on that piece right there. Yeah. So I'm going to say they're not filled, but they're not. But many of them are not funded either. In other words, they're not filled, but they're not funded. There, there are there, for for a variety of reasons, there are a lot of positions out there, but they're not funded positions. Um, well, and so it's, the, there's no savings to cut them. And I guess with all due respect, that's not what some of the legislators told us. So, I mean, I, I'm just saying that, you know, we're getting conflicting. It, you know, when a legislature okay. says these had funding attached to them. And you're okay. saying a lot well, of them don't. You know. Yeah, I, I guess I, I, you know, I would welcome and literally, I come back. Let's invite the legislators. Let's get the right people from the administration, yeah. and let's talk about specific positions. Uh, uh, because, and, yeah, sorry. No, I, I'm sorry. And and I, I, a couple other things you've just hit on, and I do have a couple more calls. I just I want to say, you know, one uh, on just using the earnings of the of the permanent fund. You were talking about SB 26, which of course didn't didn't go anywhere. There is a plan out there. It's, you know, it's, it's Jay Hammond's plan, that 50, 50 plan that talked about utilizing, you know, the, the portions of the earnings reserve to go ahead and fund government, making it a pumping money instead of pumping oil was kind of his phraseology that he used there. And yet nobody really seems to be picking up on that and using that, I think in part because it does limit government's take on that. And people are a little hesitant to allow that. The second thing you talked about was, you know, projected revenues and the other things. And there's been some discussion about whether or not the revenue projections that the state are using are actually accurate. You guys were still, uh, I think, you know, forecasting something like $50 a barrel uh, for the foreseeable future. And we've already seen, I think, you know, today it's up over 55 and, and looks like it's going to continue to remain in that territory or head a little bit more. Some of the reports from ITAR and other things are saying, you know, maybe upwards into the 60 to $65 uh, by 2020. 18, nowhere near the 150, obviously, but still higher than what the revenue forecasts are calling for. I mean, shouldn't we be able to revisit that as well? Sure, and that's a great point. So let me just address that. In, in the fiscal year 18, which is the budget we're in now, our revenue forecast is that oil will be an average of $54. And so, um, you know, we could, be, we could be off. You're right, we're, we're over 55 now, and so, you know, maybe we're a little bit off there. Our, our revenue forecast for fiscal year 19 is that oil will be at $60. And so, um, and, and we've actually, you know, it's funny, we've been criticized that that's too optimistic and that, that we've uh, overstated revenue uh, at $60. So um, we, we will be refining this fall these forecasts. We go through a fair fairly uh, detailed process where we try to get experts in from, you know, across the world and to really get a sense of where oil will be. But, but I agree. I think that, that, uh, that rev the oil is trending up and that's a good thing. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not necessarily convinced that it's going to, you know, raise enough to close the gap that we're talking about. All right, George is on the phone. He's got a question. He says, uh, Commissioner, he believed the commissioner's numbers are wrong. George, give us some your thoughts here. 
uh, yes, Commissioner, in March, I called the Department of Administration. They said there were 18,900 employees. In fact, the administration asked, and the House passed, a budget that funded 23,400 employees, roughly 5,000 more employees. And that's a whole lot different than the numbers you're throwing out right now. And my sources came from the state of Alaska officials. So are they lying or are you wrong? (laughs) <laughs> That's a great question, George. Thanks. Uh, so I apologize. I mean, all I can do, I've got a sheet here that right now that talks about um, uh, payroll and headcount. And one of the challenges is it depends a little bit on the groups that you're looking at. And so when I look at uh, the list of uh, all of the departments, including the court system, the legislature, in at the end of 2014, there were 17,210 employees. And that same group today has, and these, when I say these are bodies in seats, right? These are people right. that are on the payroll receiving receiving uh, a, a paycheck, and this includes both full-time and part-time. Today, there's uh, 15,536. So that is a decline of 8.1%. Yeah. Now, I know that <clears throat> well, it, it, well, it sounds and, like you need to go, but thank yeah, you. Yeah, I'm sorry. We're up against it, uh, but I want to have you back. Uh, uh, thank you, Commissioner, for coming on and joining us. We thank want to you. delve deep, deeper great. into this. We'll bring you back on here soon. Thanks for coming on. Sheldon Fisher, Commissioner of Revenue, out of time. Wow. The Michael LaDuke Show, your home for comments.